Hello everyone and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder. Today I'm talking to Daniel Fail, a co-founder of Checkit, a business that he and his team have bootstrapped to $2 million in ARR. We'll touch on finding the right vertical to get started, how to do things that don't scale, and what choices need to be made to get a business to seven figures. Here's Dan. I first really got into contact with you on Twitter. Like we had this little conversation about your business, which is at this point at what, like 1.7 million in annual recurring revenue. Is that right? Is that where it is? Yeah. Yeah. We're doing a little bit more than that now. So oh, we've been wow. growing rapidly over the last six months. So man, you should update your, your Twitter uh, pinned post <laughs> or whatever, because that still says yeah. 1.7. That's the thing. If you grow really it. well, you, you don't even have the time to keep up with the, the public, you know, the communication of how, how well you've grown, right? <laughs> yeah, every every month is changing, so I'll have to keep up with that. Well, I guess that's that's really good for you because a business that is already at, you know, one point some, two point whatever million dollars in annual recurring revenue. Now that's a great business to begin with. The fact that it's bootstrapped, now that just blew my mind. And that's why I wanted to talk to you today. Because I feel any business that gets into this kind of territory, you must be doing something right. And where people do something right. I want to learn what that is. I want to learn what the kind of decisions behind that were and, you know, how it came to happen. And in this conversation that we had, you told me that you are in a hyper-competitive field full of venture capital-funded businesses. And I think you just chose hard mode with this. Like, how did you choose that particular market with that super-funded kind of competition? Was that a, a conscious choice or did you just fall into this project? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was a conscious choice. I mean, we started out, to give you some background, we started out uh, with a text messaging Wi-Fi marketing product and then just general marketing services. So we worked with, we started out working just with Winnipeg uh, clients. So just in restaurants, the so hospitality restaurants. Um, and so, and then just restaurant chains. And essentially the product was you'd walk into a restaurant, you'd throw in your details um, when you logged into Wi-Fi. Uh, that would give the business the ability to collect those details. It was uh, the mobile number, email, but a lot of it was done done over SMS. And then the business could kind of uh, retarget those people, uh, send out text messages for promote things like promotions and stuff like that for like the holiday season or just in general events. So kind of drive that new traffic and, and business through there. So that was the that was the initial product. It's just like you log into Wi-Fi. They could text back and forth. So kind of like a mass texting or just an individual personal text message uh, product. So that that's kind of how we, and then from there, um, we got, we, we worked really closely with like our first uh, few customers and we're just like asking them, hey, what do you guys need? What do you guys look at on the digital side? And a lot of them came back and kind of said, you know what, is there a way that you could aggregate these, all these different reviews? We're, we're constantly having to, respond to the Google reviews, the TripAdvisor reviews, the Facebook recommendations reviews. Um, and at the time, we, we kind of were so focused on just the, the Wi-Fi marketing and just the promotional side of that product. We kind of thought it was silly. We're like, why would we aggregate all these reviews? Like we're not, that's not really what we're looking to do, but we got the same feedback, um, to, you know, basically time and time again, right? So it was just constant like, hey, is there something you could do with these reviews? So we actually, we, we went back and looked at it and we said, well, why don't we build out on our dashboard? Our dashboard was super simple back then. <laughs> uh, why don't we build out a, uh, a, you know, a new tab where you have all those different reviews in one place so they can at least respond. So that was kind of the reactive um, um, approach that we took in the sense that we got some feedback, we added it to our dashboard and our product at the time. And then we went a step further and we're like, well, you know, if, if these businesses find these reviews super important, um, what about, you know, actually proactively helping them get reviews, right? So restaurants, if you go in, you have an experience, you leave a review, uh, they're not asking a lot of the happy customers that go in and, and, and go out and don't, don't really think about leaving reviews. So we built out a product because we already had that side of things, the outbound text product. Well, why don't we have the ability to send out a link and, um, have them the option between Google or Facebook or TripAdvisor or any other platform. So. And that's when we kind of fell into, um, I wouldn't say a different market, but we were always in the text messaging side, but just the review management piece. Uh, so we got into the review management kind of fully and we branched out from uh, Winnipeg and just restaurants here to, we actually kind of like 
weirdly just went into like dental because we thought like de dentists are always talking about that. So, and I had um, a, uh, a friend that uh, had a dental clinic. And so we, he, he was always talking about it. So we, we got a, kind of got on with a bunch of different dental clinics and for whatever reason, we just stayed focused on dental for a long time. And then we branched out to other verticals. So I don't think to go back to your question, I don't think we really like chose that market. We kind of were in the text messaging side, got into the review management, and then we built out a slew of other uh, products for a ton of different verticals. So, so much to unpack here. Like that, that is just a, the collection of all these little choices, like starting in one location as a essentially like high touch, getting people to use your little product locally, like going into their restaurant, I assume, to kind of get them to use it, to then going into a completely different niche because you knew somebody, <laughs> which is always great. Yeah. Like under understanding, yeah. having somebody who understands the actual problems for you to, you know, relate to and, and to take your, your knowledge from one kind of industry and kind of transplant it onto another that in, very interesting choice there then just falling into this whole review thing what an wow what what a journey and um particularly the the part i want to i want to kind of okay, i want to talk about the part where you started because that that feels to me like it was a very work intense kind of action how many people were you there was it just you and your co-founder miles at this point uh, there is four of us. So there's the the four founders, uh, Lee, Emily, uh, they're on the technical side and then me and Miles on, on the business side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, good to know, because I don't, I didn't really find much about your other two co-founders. <laughs> Obviously, like <laughs> if you have, you know, if you have technical people, they kind of like stay in the shadows, which is, which is perfectly fine. But uh, it sounds like um, that was a lot of hands-on kind of work. Did you, did you actually go to all these restaurants and kind of try to sell it? Was it like a high touch sales process? Yeah. Yeah, you know what? It, this is uh, people don't believe me every time I I tell this or, or, or share this, but essentially we when we when we started, you know, uh, branching out and kind of the very start building our, our company, we didn't know anything about digital marketing, so we didn't know anything about Google Ads or, or Facebook Ads or SEO or affiliate marketing or any of those channels that you know all these companies use and build out and that are highly successful. And to be honest, we, we had no money. We had absolutely no money. So the easiest thing was to, we would, we were doing just door to door sales. So we just get in our cars and at the time we didn't have money for brochures or even business cards. So we'd go in there, uh, and kind of just pitch the product with, um, our laptops and essentially show them the product that we had and how it worked. And so we just go around to restaurants. And so that's how we got our first few clients and, uh, you know, you, you talking about how we kind of switched into dental, it was, it's tough to get your first few clients, of course. So we naturally kind of were branching out to who we knew. Uh, and so we knew someone in the dental side. So that's kind of where we branched out there, but for sure, like, like, um, yeah, on that side. So it was, it was door to door sales. And then for a while we, we actually picked up and moved to Calgary, uh, cause we just thought the business would. So for three months we were doing door to door sales in Calgary and it was all dental clinics and some restaurants and stuff. Um, and then picked up our first, probably like hundred customers say we came back to Winnipeg and then that's when we started thinking about branching out to other verticals, not just dental and restaurants, but like auto collision, jewelry, uh, stores, any retail. So there's furniture stores. Now there's a ton of different verticals that we work in. Um, but yeah, the, the, the start of it was, was door to door sales. So, <laughs> which is pretty odd. Interesting to see you go to yet another city <laughs> and then try the same thing yeah. there. That that the local approach, obviously, like if you don't have either the, the funds or the, the skill of like doing all this digital outreach, or you don't even know it exists, you know, if you, if you don't have that yeah. kind of in your back pocket, you could, that's all you can do. All you can do is kind of canvas the, the local neighborhoods and try to find the restaurants or the places that you, you could uh, sell your product to. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. Were there any verticals that you tried that didn't work at all, that were not receptive to this kind? Of product um I, you know what i don't think we really pinned anything as it, it it didn't work i like even now i really think we work with so many different types of local businesses i really think we could we can work with everybody really so there wasn't any verticals that we thought didn't work i think we just stuck to one you know mostly dental at the time because and restaurants because we knew we felt comfortable and we just kind of knew that so walking into 
a dental clinic, we kind of knew what we were gonna we're getting into. We had this, the, the gatekeepers at the front, kind of like, "Hey, shoe, get out of here." <laughs> uh, so, and the restaurants were a little bit different, but um, no, I don't think there's any verticals that we kind of were like, "Hey, that's that's not gonna work," I guess, um, or we didn't really pin any at the time. So, yeah, that makes makes sense. Like, if obviously it's it's one of the best choices you can make is to go with what you know, and particularly if you have then. Or if you are developing this this level of insight and knowledge into how to convince people more easily and you know better, then you you stick with that niche makes makes perfect sense to me. Do you still do this today? Like now, and how how old is the business? Like uh, two two questions, I guess. How old is the business, and are you still going into places, get trying to get customers, or have you changed? Yeah, yeah. So no, we don't we don't do any door to door sales. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't mind doing a couple here and there, but no, it's fun. But no, we don't do that anymore. We we branch out with different different a ton of different channels now. It's all online, uh, really. Um, so on that question, we like we have an affiliate marketing. Uh, we just rolled out with that. Actually, it's doing really well. Um, email marketing has been really really well done. Really really well for us. Um, we have some people doing some cold calls. So obviously, just direct sales. That's also worked out really well. Um, and then we did Google ads uh, and Facebook ads for a bit. It's pretty extensive. So we, um, we're we not doing a whole lot of that right now just because we found kind of the channels that are really working and kind of just doubled down on those. Um, what was the first part of the, to the question, sir? How old is the business? Like how, how long have oh, you been in business? With this? Uh, so we're we're rolling up on six years, five, six wow. years. Yeah. Wow. That, that... that was like 25. But Having a couple million, which is kind of how I would phrase it, an annual revenue after six years. I think that's the dream, you know, like the the five, six years, getting into a couple million, having a really solid business. That sounds like the the software entrepreneur dream and you're living it, which is awesome. I'm really happy for you. This That's so cool. And the fact that you have a team doing this, that's interesting to me too. Obviously, you have to grow at some point. When did you choose to hire people to do this for you? When was When was the time? When did, did you decide to do that? Um, it's pretty natural. Like, I mean, we just kind of looked at, um, you know, when there's a ton of leads coming and sales and stuff like that, like I did, you know, probably the, the first five, 600, me and miles did sales, uh, and demos and, and, and whatnot. But, and then when you kind of like are scaling things out a little bit more, you start realizing, okay, look, miles can't be doing all that. I, I can't be doing all this plus doing demos all day long. And, so it was kind of natural just hiring a sales team. Um, we have some people on the lead gen side and marketing side. We have the, our devs. Um, we have a, a, a group of customer support people now. Um, so it, it was just natural. We don't we didn't want any like bottlenecks. Like if I'm on different calls or trying to look at you know working on the business, it's really tough working in the business as well. Like if you're if I have six demo calls, it's like, well, that's all I can do for the day unless I'm working around the clock, which we kind of did for the first year or two, but it, it, it wear, it'll wear on you. So it's, it's not the best idea to, for long term, I guess. Yeah, you became aware of the fact that burnout probably is not the best idea to keep running a business, right? Yeah, <laughs> did, yeah, did it, exactly. Did it affect so, you to that point or did you, did you find a, a way to break or to, to stop before that happened? I, I think we've hit some points for sure. And, 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 you know, I wouldn't say like true, true burnout where we just, you know, but like there was definitely some days where it's like, holy smokes, there's a lot to do and we can't really get it all done. And so when we started hiring, it was just noticeable right away when we hired, you know, our first customer support person, I was like, holy smokes, this is, a, this is unbelievable. Like we don't have to do any of those customer support calls anymore. <laughs> and it was just like, it was great. And then we, you know, we hired a few more and then it's just like, you know, I I haven't I, I don't even know what's going on in customer support half the time these days. I feel like so, um, but I mean, same thing with like sales. It's like you notice when you hire some salespeople and they're taking on the demos. You can look at, and that's when we had the ability just even recently to look at our channels like affiliate marketing. Uh, right now, we're looking big on SEO, what that looks like in con and building content. Kind of like you're the pro at that, so you know you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but essentially, just building like a competitive moat. Um, for the business that's more long-term sustainable um so yeah it's been it's been good yeah the, the topic of modes is one thing i wanted to talk to you about because if you are in a in a kind of market that is saturated with hi highly capitalized competitors 
the moat is quite important for somebody who is bootstrapped, right? Who is only using the money that they have and not the money that somebody throws at them. I mean, you would hope your customers throw money at you, but, you know, it's not the same as a an institutional fund or anything like it. So with with a moat, um, how, would you, how would you describe the moat that you're building? Like, is there anything specific that is kind of, that originates in you being a bootstrap business? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Like I, you know, bootstrapping, I think fundamentally changes, you know, how you think it's, it's that mindset, it sharpens decisions, you know, you really have to drive value for your customers, it really forces focus on the things that matter. And really, that's your customers. And I think that in itself is a huge competitive advantage. We don't like if we're so that so that's number one, number two is probably like the speed in which we're working, like we're constantly taking feedback all the time. We're getting asked about features. Can you build this, whether it's an insurance company or a jewelry store? Um, and we don't have to go back to obviously like a big board, uh, make these decisions and take all this time and have all these meetings to do it. It's kind of like, you know, like here's a feature example, like, hey, we need a feature for downloading a PDF through a system. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. All these insurance companies are asking, okay, great. Let's build it out. Let's put it on the list and start building that out. How long can that be built out? Oh, it's going to take like two weeks or whatever. So I think number one mindset, um, that's really been, a, that's a huge, you know, competitive mode in, in the fact that, again, you're really focused on every customer, you care about every customer. That's a really big thing. And, you know, it's a, it's a foundational thing for, um, for our business, whether we, we continue to be bootstrapped forever or we go raise in five years or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's number one. And number two is really speed at which we're, we're building stuff out is, and, and speed of building features out and building stuff out for our customers, but also speed at which we're partnering with integrations, partnering with associations, um, uh, making those connections and, and those deep rooted partnerships. So I think those two things, um, yeah, are pretty huge. So, uh, you know, that culture that we're kind of like building out, and that foundation that we're laying, I think, is our biggest competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I investigated your product and I found that you have a lot of integrations, which is something that I always advocate to founders who are building products that could potentially be used or i mean most SaaS products are used in the workflow of somebody else right between other tools between other sources and like targets of data the data flow in a business so you have um a lot of them which is awesome and you you also have like a, a zapier integration right in the middle right you, you from what i found like this powers a lot of your integrations when did you choose to look into integrations as a driver of both leads and you know additional workflow integration with the people out there when was that choice make made made in your business yeah i think it, it came pretty natural it, it, again it came from customer feedback like hey they just basically asked like we get a lot of that feedback when we do demos and customer support calls and stuff like that and doing our onboarding they'll say hey do you, do you guys integrate with this platform and so we always make a list and then you know we look at how many customers have asked and that's how we kind of decide on what integrations we're going to build next but we were definitely like like hyper aware that you know, people obviously use other platforms and if they can integrate and kind of talk to each other um, and, and help them save time, because that's the biggest thing is help, just helping them save time, not have all these different platforms going on. Um, that's when we kind of knew, OK, we, we we should we should look into some of the integrations um, and, and making those those partnerships. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I saw on uh, the reviews on your own homepage, somebody was writing a customer of yours that they found it particularly easy to jump into your platform because you had a migration that you offered them like from their the old platform that they were using. That to me is also a form of integration, right? Allowing the customer to take their data and go into your system. Is is that um is that something that is significant like uh as a as part of your mode to just be able to to take in that data? Was was that a conscious choice as well or is it just something that you did at some random point? Yeah, no, that was definitely a decision we made. Like we we wanted to make it as easy as possible if they're using other uh, another texting platform or another platform that they have customer conversations essentially to migrate over. Because um, we 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 kind of knew one of the biggest things if if they if they're coming over to check it, um, 
you know, what does that look like in terms of is all my customer communication with the platform I'm currently using or just in general going to be kind of lost forever? How does that work? So our ability to take all those customer communications and transfer those into check it, we do it for free. It's kind of just, you know, it, it's a little bit, take some stress off the table for the business owner and just in general. But we definitely, yeah, we, we made that decision because we knew that's, that's, that's one of the most important things when you're looking at transferring or switching over or you're looking at new, new products for your business is like, what's the transition look like? And we really try to make it as easy as possible. You can hop on a call with our customer success manager or one of the customer success team members, walk through the onboarding in, in person over Zoom. They will help you set up every little feature that you need, um, set you up with the integrations, make sure web chat's placed on your site. Uh, so we really try to do all the heavy lifting for the, the customers that are, are setting up with us. And then we kind of just welcome them. You know, if you go on to set up another call with the team, go over some best practices, stuff like that. Yeah, we, we just try to make it as easy as possible. Mm -hmm. so. are, there, are there any customers that you're dealing with that are trying to be positive here, like technically illiterate that have like trouble with technology? How do you deal with that? Because I, I see text-based communication and I think of, okay, these people probably, they don't have much to do with computers. Like how, how have you been dealing with that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good because me and Miles, the co-founder, technically illiterate. So we just think how, how would we think? <laughs> I'm just kidding, but not, not really. I mean, we're not too good on the tech side, but um, we, we, we do work. Yeah. We, I, I would say there's definitely some people that, you know, have, they don't know how to put like the web chat script on the site, stuff like that. But again, we have people that are really, really good at that and they can, you know, if you're running a Wix site or, or Shopify or whichever, we can help uh, fill that on the site for you and do some of that, um, that technical stuff on the back end. But there's there's definitely some. They're local business owners, so right. If you run if you're running a, a plumbing company or the owner, like you don't necessarily even know how these platforms work. You got maybe a marketing manager, um, or you got you know a, a small team doing it for you. So um, yeah, we try to work with them as best as possible. But there's definitely there's definitely quite a few owners, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, they don't have to be the experts. We always just say we're, we're the experts. We'll help you as much as we can and kind of look at us partnering and uh, us working with you as an extension or an arm from, from your, your team, right, or your business. Yeah, that's pr a pretty good perspective with people who have a lot going on in their businesses to begin with, right? Like you, you are probably yeah. a, a tool of many that they have to use to figure it all out to uh, get their business going. So it's nice to consider yourself to be part of their business instead of th them being like just your customer. I think that is generally good advice for any business owner is to, to consider themselves an extension of the customer that they're serving, which also makes it much easier to to understand how your pricing should be working, right? So the whole talk about the value metric, like what is the thing that if it goes up for your customer, it should also go up for you in, in terms of revenue that you generate. Like if you consider yourself an extension of your customer, it's fairly easy, right? Like they make more money and this is the thing that I offer them, well, then I should also make more money. Let's let's talk about pricing a little because you as a bootstrap business seem to have um, it, an easier time not charging horrendous prices. Am I getting that right? I think that's part of the conversation that we had is, is that everyone is way overpriced of your, your competitors. How have you been navigating that? Yeah, we're probably the, the, you know, the most economical or just competitive in terms of pricing probably in the space right now. Um, there's a, yeah, there's, you know, quite a few competitors that they're, they're, they're priced pretty heavy essentially, or they're, they're priced, they're priced more than us, I guess, to factually put it. Um, but we, yeah, we, we, our pricing, the way we came up with pricing, I don't think is, is the best, uh, because we did it so long ago, just kind of right off the hop, but we just, it was really just simple. It was very, a, a simple conversation. Like, what do we think? Um, cause we wanted to work with. You know, like we were in, you know, dental uh, for so long or out the start. We know that they can afford more and we could charge more. But we we want to work with like a local mom and pop like paint store or a jewelry store or all these different verticals. Like we work with like vacuum shops and stuff like that. So we were like, you know what, how can we focus on, you know, helping just basically any local business brick and motor uh, with a physical location, essentially what price do we think they could afford 
and you know is they're not looking at like holy smokes it's a ton of money but all also that you know they could look at it and be like there's a ton of value here we're not gonna we're not gonna leave so that kind of played into you know our, our churn numbers and stuff like that so that's why that's been so low but um yeah we came up with the price we just thought people could afford i mean we use a lot of software products as well too like we use clothes uh for our CRM, and I think I think they're like ninety nine bucks or something, and they have a slew of features, right? So, um, and there's a ton of value there. Um, but essentially, yeah, we looked around and looked at kind of what a lot of software is that that we love and what they're priced at, and we kind of just had something similar. So, yeah, inspiration, right? If I be inspired by the others around you. Generally, a good idea in in any market is just to figure out what are people used to, right? What do they how do they like their prices? Low, probably, but also the the kind <laughs> yeah. of, of pricing that you offer. That I found that very interesting about Checkit. Like you have essentially available, like publicly available prices and a book a demo link. That is something that you don't see too often because most of the time, like businesses trying to target right. up market enterprise customers, they only have the book a demo and then it kind of funnels them into this whole sales process. But your book a demo is really just a convincing people to actually pay the price that's on the on the public page that is novel i feel because it's it's also kind of um, a, a, a trust enabling gesture i feel like the putting the price out there a hundred percent along yeah. for the demo but uh, when did you when did you last update your prices did you ever update your prices oh I, we honestly we I, we've <laughs> never really updated our prices we always had the 199 package and then uh, the 99 like we've never really touched it we've had we've had some add-ons like we have add-ons now with um because of twilio just just some of the like the textable landline and stuff like that but we've never really updated um our our, our prices so do you ever intend to <laughs> Well, as of right now, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, that's what, that's the one thing that people, and again, that's kind of a, like, uh, bleeds back to, uh, you know, the, the competitive mode. I mean, a lot of people say these, this price is unbelievable and, um, that's why people have stuck with us so long. So. Oh, that's um, interesting. That, that is a, that is yeah. a super interesting point that your, your price consistency also creates like brand loyalty or like word of mouth about the brand. Now that that is something I did not did not expect because I I honestly like no coming from a SaaS background I know like I put a price there and I don't do much experimentation and it just works for a couple of years and I kind of forget about it right because money is coming in and you know you don't want to like oversaturate people with new prices and upgrades and that kind of stuff but doing this intentionally or at least like harvesting the 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 effect of it that that people like the brand because it doesn't play with the price all the time because it doesn't charge more just because they can that is an interesting yeah. mode and and that thing that is that is kind of why i ask because i feel this is what a bootstrap company can do because you you are profitable you have you know you you have your margins you know what you need and you don't need much more and you can still grow for vc funded business who wants to dominate the market and has to kind of charge outrageous amounts of money, that is not an option. Is, is there anything else like this where you, you can behave differently from your competitors in that regard? Yeah, well, that's definitely one of them. Um, in terms of, I guess your question is, if, if in terms of aspects of the business, in terms of if we can uh, behave differently, um well yeah there's you know i think again like i don't want to sound like i'm bashing any <laughs> businesses or like <laughs> that side of things but like i really do think like our customer support is a big thing like being able to offer like you said like we do have the prices there i really don't like when i go to when i go to a site and i don't know the price i always just think oh it's got to be like sky high you know like why don't they just show the price i don't understand i just want to see the price i want to buy so that the price is definitely one customer support is definitely another, like just being able to have a personal uh, connection, you know, having those conversations, those onboarding, like, I don't, I don't know, like, I, I don't know that the level of customer support some of those business can, can really give. And I don't know, they, they probably can give it. I just don't know that that's their focus. I think it's more just driving sales and revenue and growth and stuff like that. And that's fine. But a lot of, our growth is actually coming from the customer support side and getting that word of mouth being like, you know, customer support was unbelievable. We got on a phone call, we've gone on a two or three, they're okay with that. 
you know, so spending that extra time going that extra mile, um, you know, I think that that's enabled us for sure, uh, to, to kind of grow. So, yeah, that, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. That, that, that seems to be quite, quite decisive, um, in, in many markets where people want to trust the vendors that they work with. Right. And if you, if your first point of contact is a customer support agent, that is not just trying to get their ticket done so they can get to the next one. Like I've been talking to Walmart, Walmart Canada about some returns recently, and it was horrible. Not because the person wasn't <laughs> nice, but it was because yeah. the person had to be nice within a super confined amount of time so they could go through the ticket quickly. Right. And that, that I, I hate about customer support when it feels like you're just one in a list and they have to go through you to get to the end of their day. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry yeah, for the no, rant. Absolutely. <laughs> so, sorry walmart canada but that was not a nice experience but it's, it's just it's customer support it makes a whole lot of difference what the first point of contact with your business is for your customers and if you can afford to focus on that as any business you really should because the word of mouth that you get like you were saying that you don't want to badmouth anybody in, in your industry that is wonderful and one review on your own website is a customer saying that you were badmouthed by your competitors and then they checked out your product and found it was actually quite awesome so there is a lot yeah. of you know kind of ruthlessness going on in the industry is that right yeah like i like yeah, we, we definitely get some interesting feedback, like whether it's from, you know, mostly it's from people that are looking to switch over. <clears throat> They'll go do their research. Maybe they go talk to the company they're currently using or, or you know, wh whichever the marketing firm that's maybe partnered with them. Um, so we've got, yeah, we've gotten some feedback that's yeah, not true. And just, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, one of the things on that side is like, it's, it's that perception. Like a lot of those companies have these, these massive office spaces and kind of these, these superficial, uh, things that obviously on the outside, if you're a customer, you go, oh, wow, this product must be way better. And the, the quality of it, the customer support must be way better. It must be more stable, all these things, but really fundamentally those, that's not really true. Um, so I think getting around that sometimes can be a little bit tough, especially at the start it was. Um, but we still hear that all the time. Like we, we get that feedback a lot, you know, businesses will say, you know, we, 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 we kind of went back and we we're, were talking to these guys and they said, you guys, you guys are really small and we have a, we have a, you know, huge team here and, you know, you don't want to go with them because they're just too small. It's, um, they're going to have lots of bugs and stuff in their software. And, you know, we've heard, we've heard everything, right? So, um, not true, but it's just something you have to deal with. I think if you're building a business like we are. Yeah, ever more important than to have a customer support or sales team or whoever does your outreach at whatever level that is humanizing the experience because that's something they're not going to get right at a much bigger much like that's the thing I've, I've never understood how bigger means better in, in in regards of a software business because to me bigger just means more process more abstractions less individual care right that, that's kind of what that means it becomes a machine and you become a cog a tiny little cog in that machine instead of uh, exactly the, the mom and pop vibe that you can have if if you have a personal relationship like particularly as a founder if you can still go into the conversation as the founder of the business and say oh yeah this is a customer that has an issue i'm here for you i'm i'm expediting this or whatever that immediately is an experience that this founder or this this customer would never get at a much bigger company. So you can kind of leverage these moments very much for the word of mouth that they create. So what what I found in in your in your presentation on your website too, you you have um, I, I'm just going to share my own personal perception on this. It looks like a professional software tool, but it doesn't look enterprisey. You do not try to feel. A clinical or sterile it's still a, it feels like a humanized project i think you're, you're doing pretty well in communicating this and i think that's part of why you have this good word of mouth there um do you have a design team like do you have people like constantly trying to communicate this with your audience yeah we have a we have uh one person actually that that does our uh, in-house as our all our website design so he's he's really well uh it's it's paul from the team so He's phenomenal. Um, shout out to Paul. Yeah, he's yeah. Shout out to Paul. So he's he's done a really good job on on that side of things. But kind of going back to your like the, the previous point, like in terms of um, like you know when you were talking about 
being a bigger business and, and, you know, that kind of outlook, that kind of, you know, that feedback that we got that might've been a little bit negative, that actually kind of turned into opening up our self sign up uh, and our, and, and our free trial, right? So we never had a free trial either to begin with, but the more and more feedback we got about, Hey, you know what? We don't want to, because we did, we, we never had any contracts, but they were, a lot of people were hesitant because we were so small to switch over. Like, what if we don't get the same customer support? What if the software is not as good? Um, cause obviously our pricing was, was, um, quite a bit lower or it, it just seems really affordable to people, but that's why we opened that up. We said, Hey, you can test out all our features, test drive the whole product for 14 days. If you want, if you need, shoot us an email, we'll extend up to 30 days. So there's really no risk here. We don't ask for a credit cards. You can, you can set up, download the mobile app, send out a bunch of texts, use all the features. You can hop on a video call if you want with our stuff, uh, send out a quick up, like a just blanket invoice, you essentially just use all the features. Um, and then, you know, either do your comparisons or make your decision based off that. Um, so that, that again, too, has really helped us because again, it takes risk off the table for that. Those, those marketing teams, the business owners, um, the last thing they want to do is either if they're switching from, from a different product or different service, um, kind of figure out, you know, you know, is cause what they're maybe being told or that internal discussion is if it's so affordable or so cheap, it must be related to the, the quality of the service of the product, which, yeah. So that was one big thing that we did that was hugely helpful uh in in the business so yeah that's that's a great idea like giving people the option to kind of fight their own prejudice in that moment by just seeing how well it works i think a free trial is, is a great idea for most software as a service business businesses because it marginally increases your cost right i mean with twilio and stuff i guess you have cost to send messages yeah it's not just an email yep. right but I think um, the customer acquisition cost of that can be calculated and you can probably set limits. Do you have limits in your trial or is it a full experience of the whole product? I th yeah, so we have some limits. I think you can send out 200 text messages. Because <laughs> mm, yeah. we, we have a bulk, we have a bulk a feature that you can send out bulk messages for okay. promotions. Yeah. So, I mean, if we did the free trial and they sent out 10 million messages, we'd be uh, eating quite a bit of cost for a free <laughs> trial. So we, we set it up in a way that there's a little bit of a cost, but also it's fair. You know, they, they shouldn't have any trouble if they're sending out 200 messages. They, they should know that the product works and they like it and whatnot. So yeah, at, at the, at the point where they sent like the 199th message, they should know that the, the other 198 yeah. before have actually worked in their favor, right? Like that's, that's to be yeah. expected. I think limits, it's a big deal. Like with, with any kind of free trial or freemium product, like people forget to set these limits sometimes, and then it becomes this kind of explosive cost and then it, it could destabilize the whole business. So good on you for, for having those limits in place. I think it's a, uh, it's easy to forget that, you know, that might be, a I think too. I, I think we actually set the limit after we had one of those cases. <laughs> so it's just for like learn by trial. I, yeah, it's just like learn by, you know, learn Funny. by trial, I guess. But yeah, we uh, had, I think we had somebody, they basically used the free trial. We didn't have a limit set up. So they sent out like a couple thousand. It wasn't a big mm -hmm. deal, but we kind of said, well, like if it was more, it might've been a bit of a, it would have just been annoying. But yeah, we had definitely a case and that's when we kind of, uh, made this, <laughs> this did, did they there. ever did yeah. they turn into a customer did they convert yeah i think they they did it was a it was an auto place and they still okay. use our product and send out mass messages so it's yeah worth it <laughs> so, <laughs> worth it i guess oh man that's that's really cool and i i'm i'm super interested in the fact that you're working with like sms technology because i feel like coming from this indie hacker space where everything is super modern and hyped and you know you only go for the most modern technologies working with something as relatively traditional which you know like in in modern technology uh, terms that could just mean like 10 10 years old in terms of a tech but like as sending short messages or like even phone calls ooh, like that kind of oldish technology like um that's is the, choosing to work with that technology is an interesting choice for a software business i always feel because you know we always look at what is the most modern way of reaching people but not what is the way that people actually still use so um that that was that is a great choice is that something that you had on your your radar from the start when you when you did the even the walking into the first restaurant and dental practices or did that come at a later point 
Yeah, it was always it was always text based. So it was always when you again going back to the original product where they could sign in. Um, we we really I don't know why, but I guess I mean there was only two channels that we thought of. Or I think were just that made any sort of sense with that product was SMS and email. And email, we're like, well, who checks their email? Email's not as quick. They're not going to maybe open it. It's not going to be effective. Everybody always gets those emails that they just kind of ignore. So we just thought text was really cool. And so when we uh, went mainly with that, we actually, I think we had an option where you can only, they can only throw in their number at one point and, and kind of got rid of email, or maybe we just made it an option. But essentially we saw those campaigns going out, those promotions, those texts. And then we, the feedback we got was, wow, we got to like, a hundred people came and, um, there was, there was a business, one of our first businesses that we worked with, uh, sent out a campaign after the jets game here and they're just down the street from their, um, the arena. And they said, yeah, we had like 50, 70 people come in just because of this. And they, so they always sent out these campaigns and just engage with people like that. So we just, when we got that feedback, we we're like, yeah, SMS, it works. It's, it's, it's maybe not flashy or, or cool. It's not like we have some like AI technology on like people's site or anything. It's just literally you can throw <laughs> your number, send a message, and then you can text back and forth with the customer. Yeah, because because it, it works, right? And it the, works. And the business and the business likes it. Yeah. yeah. Because and then and then we, we kind of branched out to the other channels, of course. Like uh, we recently got Instagram. So Instagram was was really big with like jewelry stores and stuff and just a bunch of different on the retail side. And then the Google My Business. So if they went to your Google profile and they sent you a message, coming through us. If they're going to Facebook, uh, your business profile is coming through us. Instagram, web chat, textable landlines. So you can make your landline textable. It's a call or text us here. So all those different channels, we just uh, boiled into one, one platform. So it was easy for them to manage and have to log in. The big lesson here that, that I am currently working through in my mind is like use the tech that your customers use. It's very simple, right? Like what they need, 100%. what they have, that is what you should supply. Not what you think they should have, but what they think they should have. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that's kind of how we added those channels too. Because um, I, I think the, the start was just text uh, and then some some email. And then, then it was, you know, web chat for their site. And then we just got asked about like Facebook and Google and Instagram and, and stuff. So we just, we're just trying to add as many channels as, as we can really moving forward. Do you feel that this might at some point be too much to handle? Because, you know, like feature writers where you have the, this, this growth of features and integrations and all of a sudden what used to be a pretty streamlined platform is now this behemoth, like with eyes all over the place and like all weird tentacles on the side. Do, do you ever fear that this might turn your product into, you know, more of a bloated product or is there a process behind how you choose what to support? Um, I, no, I don't, I don't fear that now. I think if we got more on the enterprise, uh, side of things, then, then maybe, um, cause there's a lot, there's a lot going on and just the customer support products out there, like, um, ones that we use in a lot of intercom and, and obviously there's Zendesk and a bunch of others. I think some of those products, um, are, they have a lot going on. Um, I, I don't. I don't think we'll get there for a while and this is not something that we're worried about, but, um, yeah, so, that answers that. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you have to <laughs> kind of keep these things on your radar, but if you're, if you're careful with it, then, you know, like you're not going to overblow your own business, particularly not if you only have limited resources as a bootstrapper. Let me take a second to tell you about the sponsor of the show. MicroAcquire is a free startup acquisition marketplace that connects founders with serious buyers to help get their online businesses sold quickly and easily. MicroAcquire has been sponsoring my podcast since the beginning, and I'm excited to share their plans to help more bootstrap founders succeed. Starting in 2023, they're rebranding to acquire.com to show the world that they can help startups of any size get acquired. Their mission is the same to help founders achieve life-changing outcomes and continue building game-changing tools that make acquisitions easy for all. With over 35,000 messages sent between buyers and sellers in any given month, hey, if you're thinking about testing the acquisition waters, now is the time to join Acquire.com. 
And that kind of brings me to yeah. uh, to the the kind of the final question that I have because it is about you know the future of of the business. Since you've been bootstrapped all this time, do you want to keep doing this? Earlier, you mentioned something about you know, maybe raise in the future. Like, what what is your your vision of the future of the business? Yeah, so I mean, we we've we've talked about um, if you're asking like potentially raising. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't looking back, I think we did it cause we, we didn't, we didn't really know how to get, go out and, and raise and do all that stuff. And I think being in Canada and especially Winnipeg's a little bit different, the market. So we, I think we were kind of forced, uh, to, to be bootstrapped. But now when I look back, I, I think for sure right now, we're kind of focused on what we're doing. Like we're growing profitably. We're doing, I, I think we're doing things the right way. Um, but the future, like. You know, I you look at some businesses uh, like Shopify, uh, Qualdrix, like there's there's certain businesses that raised after 10 years. Like, that's a long time, right? So I, I, I really love that path in the sense that you, you know, you're bootstrapping, you're getting your first thousand to, you know, whatever, five, six thousand customers. Maybe it's more, maybe it's 10, whatever it might be. But you're really figuring all that stuff out and the direction and, and your company in terms of what you, what you really want to be bootstrapped and you're not, you know, taking money from, from somebody and trying to use their money to figure it out. And I, I think, again, it goes back to the foundation that, that we're kind of laying, um, you know, in the mindset that when people come work for us, it's just different than we got all this money. We can just try all these different things and whatever works great, whatever doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, but I think I, I really do think it's important to, to be bootstrapped for a decent amount of time. And then if, yeah, if you want to raise and kind of once you've, you know, figured everything out or a lot of things out, you can take money and just basically pour gas on the fire and just kind of scale at that point. I, I look at some of those companies, I think their trajectory and the way they did things was, uh, just the right, you know, the right path, um, or or just the path, I guess I shouldn't say the right path, but like the path that if we were going to go raise, we'd want to, we'd want to do it something similar. Um, but I also too, like I, I wouldn't have any problem with being bootstrapped forever. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, we, we scale, uh, we need more salespeople. We'll hire more salespeople because that's what we need. And we've grown to that and we can afford that and we can, uh, again, do it on a level that's profitable. So I think that's good. Or you need customer support, you need more devs, whichever. So. I think, especially for times like today, like, or times like, uh, you know, today, like you look at some of the people are talking about the recession and, you know, what's going to happen with uh, companies that, that need investors or need more investment for the next year. That can be pretty scary, right? So we're not in that, but like, we're not worried. We're not, we're not sitting here going, oh man, are we going to be able to raise an extra $20 million? We don't need that money. We don't, we don't need anything. So, um, yeah, so I, I think long long-term vision i think probably bootstrap for for a while that sounds like sounds like a nice yeah that would be great right if, if that could be sustained and it would get you to where you want to be like obviously you don't have to do anything else and i think you're absolutely right with the recession if you know like you have a churn rate of x percent you have a growth rate of y percent and you have that money in the bank and you know you know what's going to come over the next couple of months and maybe this fluctuates but you still you don't you're not beholden to anybody else's like revenue expectations or you know growth expectations um that said obviously great to know that you can bootstrap forever but you know like at this point with two-ish million in annual revenue and you know the four founders that, that probably have like you know certain levels of shares and the multiples that you could get if you were to sell your business has an exit and acquisition ever be on your radar uh, personally and for, for the business i guess yeah I, I for for a little bit it kind of was we've we've definitely um definitely kind of looked down that path and and uh but it, you know when we what you know when we kind of took a, a deeper dive in that it was like 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 for me for sure and i and i think i could speak for the other founders but we like what we're doing we're happy we're not stressed yeah. we don't need to yeah. hit these these crazy these crazy growth goals uh we love just building out new products talking to customers new features um partnering with new associations so like what we do like i i sometimes come to work and like the office i'm like i don't even feel like i'm working so like if i were to sell it that'd be great 
but then what am I doing? Like, am I going back somewhere else? Like, well, not that you have to, if you sell, but right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. If you yeah. have something, why would you give it up? Right. I think that as a forever project, that is also a perfectly fine way of approaching building a business, right? You can make it sellable, but never sell it. It's still going to be a great business right. that somebody would want to buy, but you don't have to, sure. to give it away. I, I was recently talking with Andrew Gasdecki on, on this show, and he was saying that from his observations of looking at businesses being sold on MicroAcquire, he was uh, telling me that there is this kind of whole new world at a 10 million dollar arr and and over that just opens up in terms of the people who would buy your potential business so you know like there, there's just many many more investors that are looking for businesses of that size and bigger instead of this kind of smaller which is a hilarious way to express like a million dollar business right but you know smaller businesses that have a different kind of group of people who would acquire them so i guess you're on a great path and if you reach 10 and when you reach i guess 10 million dollars in annual revenue then you can reconsider this and see you know are we at a point where we want to change our lives or change the things we do but i love the fact that you want to bootstrap this thing further i love the fact that it has been bootstrapped until here and that you are apparently doing really well in a competitive market with all these little overbloated uh, co competitors in there i'm super excited to see what the future holds for you and for check it and for everybody involved with the project um i would like to thank you very much for for being on the show with me today and sharing all these little nuggets of insight and wisdom from a bootstrap journey to a place where a lot of the people listening to this really want to end up in so thank you so much and um if people want to follow you and learn more about you the, the business and your journey where should they go where should they check you out yeah thanks for having me on i appreciate it um yeah, it's really uh, like our, it's, it's kind of like a, we don't, again, we're not really too good with socials, but I mean, our website, <laughs> obviously, uh, LinkedIn, we do, we do some posts here and there. Um, I just gone on Twitter. So if you want to check me out on Twitter, great. Um, but yeah, I would say just our website and just LinkedIn is kind of the main uh, updates where you'll see that. So. All right. So go check out Dan and check it. And yeah, just thanks again for being on the show. And have fun keeping so bookshopping. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to The Bootstrap Founder. You can find me on Twitter at Arvid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my books and my Twitter course there as well. If you want to support me and the show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, and leave a rating and the review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any of this will help the show. So thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.